the family, made up of husbands, wives, and children. Without our head, Jesus Christ, it means pretty much nothing, as we'll see next. Husbands, you may be the head of the home, but at the end of the day, it is Christ who is the master of all. Welcome to Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. We continue our survey of Ephesians, and specifically the Spirit-filled home. Today, we want to focus in on living with Christ as our master, head over all. Please join us as we seek to understand how a successful family lives and that only with Christ as its head. Here's Pastor Phil Howard now with today's broadcast of Truth For Today. Turn, if you will, to Ephesians chapter 6. would never preach this subject if it wasn't in the Bible. There's a lot of stuff I wouldn't preach if it wasn't in the Bible. You think I just like these subjects. No, when you work to a book, And I just thought, Lord, I'm not all whipped up to preach about slaves and masters. It just does. But you know what? It's the Word of God, and He could talk to us, and we can learn from it. Listen to what He says in verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Uh, Just go through your Bible. Over in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, he deals with this subject. You just need to know that he he addressed it at Colossae. If you keep going, uh, we'll pick up 1 Timothy 6, and then we'll look at 1 Peter 2, to give you that the New Testament repeatedly deals with this issue because many of the believers were slaves and at this time there were 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire. And so it was quite a phenomena that the early church was planted in the midst of such a culture as this. But listen to what he says in chapter 6. All who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect so that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. Those who have believing masters are not to show less respect for them because they are brothers. Instead, they are to serve them even better because those who benefit from their service are believers and dear to them. These are the things you are to teach and urge on them. And then if you'll turn to 1 Peter chapter 2, he says in verse 13 to submit to earthly rulers. And then he steps into the arena of slavery in verse 18. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, 
but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Slaves, masters, and Lord of Lords. He is saying here that the spirit-filled life affects every aspect of life. Your personal life turns you into a singer, a thankful person, a submissive person. It turns the wife into one who can submit not out of uh, resentment, but as to the Lord. It enables a husband to sacrificially love a wife, not out of resentment, but out of love for Jesus Christ. It enables a child to render obedience and honor to parents and parents to treat children fairly. Uh, and then it moves into this matter of slaves and masters. It seems foreign to us in a day that we don't live with slavery. But you need to understand perhaps something of the background of the Roman Empire at this time. Slavery was a part of the social fabric that as Rome went to war and conquered other nations, one third of her population became slaves. One third. Some approximate 60 million people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Now, these slaves were not slaves based upon the pigmentation of their skin. They were all color. It was not a racial slavery. It was a social slavery. Uh, the slaves came from every walk of life. Many of the physicians of the Roman Empire were slaves. Matter of fact, slaves owned slaves in the Roman Empire. So that it was a uh, all permeating kind of social structure throughout. And in the midst of this, you had many Christians in the church. They would go and they could be sitting next to their master in a church service. Because they were all one body in Christ and that social hierarchy uh, was done away in the church. They could celebrate brotherhood and then go right back to that household and resume the role of a slave and a master. And there seemed to be no contradiction. Something about uh, this role, I think that uh, the household, all the industry of Rome were household industries. So that Paul is taking up a household matter. The slaves lived in the home, usually. So he's been talking about how husband and wife should relate, children and parents. Now he picks up this matter of slave masters because they all were living in the same households together. And there could be a Christian household or you could be a slave working for a Christian master or you could be a Christian, a non-Christian slave with a Christian master. All of those roles is a part of the social fabric of the Roman Empire because the Rome, Romans disdained work and they loved war. And part of their goal in war was to go out and recruit a workforce when they took them back to Rome because they thought it was non-dignifying to work 
So they turned all the nations they could conquer into slaves to do all the labor for them while they partied and went to war. So it's a, an amazing thing. Uh, let me give you a little background of what they said about uh, slavery in the, this time. Slaves were considered one of three kinds of tools you could own. One of three kinds of tools. I believe it was Aristotle who came up with this category. He said there's articulate tools, and that's human beings. Inarticulate tools, that's animals. And mute tools, and that was rakes, saws, and hammers, and vehicles. So it was just a part of a whole slavery idea. The only distinction between a slave and an animal is a slave could talk. One of their writers said that all a slave was was an animated tool, an animated tool. So they didn't get justice. They didn't deserve justice as the way Roman law went. And so they were near nothing. Listen to what Cato said, one of the um, Roman spokesmen of the day. Old slaves should be thrown on a dump heap. And when a slave is ill, do not feed him anything. It is not worth your money. Take six slaves and throw them away because they are nothing but inefficient tools. Augustus speaks of this era. He crucified a slave who accidentally killed his pet bird, a quail. A man by the name of Pollio threw a slave into a pond of deadly Lapry ills for breaking a crystal goblet. Juvenile writes of slave owners that their greatest pleasure at times was listening to the sweet song of his slaves being flogged. The gospel came into this culture and this attitude and this structure and it begins to address, says, if the spirit of God is running your household, and you're the master, it will change radically the way you view this human tool. And if you happen to be a Christian slave in a household, saved master or unsaved, it will radically change your work ethic and your outlook as you carry out your responsibilities. Christianity did not attack the social structure it attacked the attitudes by which we treat human beings and the greatest, the greatest opponents of slavery have been the great preacher, John Wesley, George Whitfield, who preached against it in their itinerant ministries in England and William Wilberforce stepped up and went to parliament and fought it all of his life and within the week he died, within the week he died, slavery was finally canceled for England. We shall no longer kidnap the people of Africa and take them against their will to do work against their will. And Wilberforce, a wonderful Christian, fought that all of his years in Parliament and finally won it on the eve of his death. Uh, you have to get the feel in here. This is different than American slavery, which was far more brutal far more unjustified than what was going on in the Roman Empire. But the institution was there. So what will he say to these believers? 
a believing slave? What will he say to a believing master? Now, none of this works unless you're a Christian, unless they were under the control of the Spirit. And he keeps saying, as unto Christ act this way, not as men pleasers, but as doing the will of God, but as doing it with all of your heart. And he begins to give a radical work ethic that comes over to us today in the employer-employee arena. Uh, I've never, I've not lived forever, but I tell you right now, service is hard to find when you go to a store. Attitudes are rotten many times. Uh, people could seem to, they could care less. You got to go to Nordstrom's. You'd go to Nordstrom's just for service attitude. Because I've been in stores where they kind of, I have the feeling from the clerk, what are you doing here? Drop dead. If you weren't here, I wouldn't have to wait on you. I thought, well, I thought that's what you were employed to do. Drop dead. Then we've got people, uh, greed has driven capitalism. That uh, inflation keeps going up because uh, uh, we keep charging more for rent, keep charging more for food. The worker says, you've got to give me more money to pay the new prices. And owners got the, set the prices. We want it. No, well, we'll go union, we'll strike, on and on and on. Who gets the money? Who makes the profit? It's all right if I'm on the side of the equation that gets the money. And so you've got this class, class warfare, even in the, the states where people are paid better than any people and some are paid too much for what they do. But the issue is where do the profits go? Do I pay a girl 50 cents an hour in her home country and I won't pay on and on? And every one of you got an attitude about it, so I'll hush now. Most of us have never owned anything, so you're never in sympathy with management. But there's a side of management too. Can I get a full hour's worth of work if I pay you? We're gonna look at that. Let's begin to look at what he tells these slaves to do. He tells them, obey your masters. And it's a present imperative. As a way of life, just be obedient to your masters. And when you do it, do it with an attitude of respect, fear, and sincerity. Now, now you can get obedience if you whip them and beat them, but that's not, no, 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 no. I want you to obey, but I want you to have an attitude while you're obeying. Like the child, obey your parents and honor them. And he's doing the same thing here. Don't just carry out what you're supposed to do, but carry it out with the right attitude. Now this comes from the Spirit of God. Right attitude. Respect them and fear them. And these two words were words that were used of respect and reverence in the presence of God. So it's a very strong concept. Show respect towards them. Don't be hostile and do this with a sincere heart. And it means without being duplicitous, without being, uh, other words, be generous in doing it. Don't be split, I, reluctant. No, no, do it sincerely. 
And we get the Latin word sincere without wax. Uh, and bad pottery would have the wax put in it. And they would put it up to the sunlight. And you could see where the wax was blending in with the clay. And it would say, don't be broken. Don't be uh, one that's got wax in your intentions. Be through and through all that you are. Do it sincerely. I want you to be the best slave you can be. He doesn't tell him to revolt. Doesn't tell him to hate the master. He says, work with all your heart, showing great respect towards this one that is your master, who may be a believer. And if he's a believer, work harder for him than if he wasn't. That's a switch. Some people want to work for Christians as a brother so they can mooch and they can dog it because the brother can't fire them. Be sure if you hire a Christian, they understand 1 Timothy 6. Do you want to work for me because you want to be lazy? Or do you want to work for me because you want to work harder than you normally would? That might eliminate having Christians working for you. He said, obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart so that the motivation is so deep that the boss doesn't have to be overseeing you to get performance. You know, here comes the boss. Boss goes, you go back to talking to a fellow worker or you start doing whatever. He said, no, be of such an ethic as this slave. And if you need to translate it in your mind as an employee in today's culture, that you're not always looking to see who's seeing you because you're not motivated by that. You're not motivated by the boss's eye or the master's eye. Your inward motivation is Christ. I'm working for Christ. I'm his slave. He's my master. And when the human master's not looking, my divine master is. What a work ethic. Can you imagine that every day on your job, Jesus Christ is the foreman? Or he's the boss? And that every day he watches and you punch out the time card with Christ at the clock saying, I've been with you all day and I've watched you. You've done a good job. That's what you want to hear at the end of the day. Jesus said, you really did work today. Man, you want to be a Christian, but who in the world wants Jesus on the job? I mean, you get a 15-minute coffee break and you take 45 minutes, company owes it to me. No, you just stole 30 minutes. They don't owe you anything. You stole the time. Well, then you're messing. I know it. Because there's lazy Christians in church too. That's too convicting. We'll move right on. I'll come back later though. You're all going to be calling down here to see how much time Richard and I put in. I know. You're doing the will of God from your heart. This is a radical teaching. He is lifting the mundaneness of work to a spiritual service. He's elevating it. God cares how you work. 
I mean, he's telling the nobodies in this coach, I care how you work. I care about that. And my spirit will fill you with the power to obey these commands so that you become like a brother Lawrence. If you've read about him, this uh, monk that would sing while he did the dishes because he learned to give thanks in everything. Every occasion was an occasion of thanks, making a bed, doing the dishes. He just turned the kitchen into a sanctuary because he rejoiced in his God no matter what he was doing. Do you have to be up here to really have a work ethic or will it affect even a cement finisher, a man working for the garbage district? Can he do that with a song in his heart? If he's spirit-filled, he can, and he will. It's, it's radical. To even address the slaves was a radical departure. You never talk to the slaves. You only talk to their master. And here, Paul's writing to the slaves at Ephesus. You slaves in the congregation, I've got something to say to you. God, I'm addressing you. Your earthly master cannot give you this attitude. This comes from being under the control of the Spirit. And I'm addressing you. May the Spirit fill you this way. And may you have this kind of a work ethic. Well, he goes on, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord. Wow, is that radical? Come on. I'm a carpenter when I'm working for a guy. I'm building this as though I'm working, that Christ gave me the job. That Christ is going to be the one that looks at the work and Christ is going to write me the check. In my attitude, I'm going to build this as good as though I was doing it for Jesus Christ. You see that? Are you there? Are you awake? Just kind of like that, a little movement out there. I get nervous. Some of you got that electric blanket on eight. Come on, turn it down. Wake up. I know I didn't want to preach this, but I got to anyway because I'm a preacher of the Bible. And uh, you think your boss told me to preach this. He didn't. The real boss told me to preach this. The real boss. Serve wholeheartedly. What do you want? Well, I, I like to buy this shirt. Why are you here? Well, you said you had them for sale. Hurry up. I, get the other clerk. What? All right. Boom, boom, boom. Attitude. You even see it with people in the church. You know, yes, I'm a Sunday school teacher. Oh, yes. Oh. Why don't you get somebody else that can work in the joy of the Lord? Oh, we're sorry. If I hear, see one more person come in my department, I'm going to scream because I'm doing this for Jesus with all my heart. <laughs> Whoa. Do you think you maybe need some time out? Renegotiate the contract? Uh, you'd be amazed at how many pastors stay mad at their congregation. That's why there's so much fire in their preaching. That's why they... I'm always guilty. He's so passionate. He's mad. No, he's not. You think I am, but I have preached mad before. And there's a difference between being mad and being anointed. <laughs> See, and, and I have to say, don't, don't be mad at these people. Don't pick on them. God hasn't called me to pick on you. He's called me to pastor you and preach the word. 
It's easy to complain to God about what's wrong with your congregation if you're a pastor. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote a, a fabulous little book called Life Together. Dietrich Bonhoeffer was killed by Hitler. He uh, was a uh, uh, devoted German pastor and lived under the Third Reich. And uh, he wrote this marvelous little book called Life Together. And he has this great line in it. And he says this to the pastors of Germany. Do not complain to God about what's wrong with the people you pastor. For God knew what was wrong with them before he placed you there to intercede for them. Intercede? I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. Because I'm the boss on the circuit. No, you're not. And this is Truth For Today with Pastor Phil Howard from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Our series is called God's Design for Your Life. As we close the program out, we would invite you to contact us if you would like to obtain a copy for yourself of either today's message or the entire series. Call us today, 855-833-9864. Again, information can be had at 855-833-9864 or simply visit our website, truthfortodayradio.org. If you would like a copy of today's program, a prayer request, maybe you would like to partner with us financially, we would love to hear from you. Call, drop by our website, or write to us at 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California, and the zip code is 94547. Thank you so much for joining us today, and until next time, God bless. God bless.